You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 129. Welcome to the uh, first episode of 2021. And for uh, this uh, episode, we'll be uh, meeting Edwin Hill, who is an Edgar and Agatha Award-nominated author of Little Comfort and the Missing Ones, and his latest book, Watch Her was uh, released on uh, December 29th of 2020, so it's available now on Amazon or wherever it is that you uh, get your books. Had a great time talking with Edwin about his uh, writing process and about uh, writing uh, mysteries and a whole lot more, so stay tuned for that interview coming up. Uh, please do visit thrillingreads.com forward slash rate to leave a rating and or a review for this podcast. It really helps to get the word out so others can uh, find the podcast as well. All right, so here is my interview with uh, Edwin Hill. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Edwin. Thanks, Alan. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being on. I appreciate it. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, please? Oh, sure. Um, I worked in uh, publishing for many years. I worked in college publishing for many years uh, before getting into writing. And uh, which was kind of fun. It was good to see the see sort of how the publishing world works before I got into the whole writing um, process. But like a lot of writers, I've I've had a lot of jobs along the way. I've sort of uh, skipped from here to there, and uh, I did land in in the publishing world for about uh, almost twenty years. So that was that was a good place to land. Before that, I lived I lived in San Francisco in California during the dot com boom, and uh, had a lot of fun during that that period of time as well. And uh, came back east, got an MFA at uh, at uh, Emerson College, and and then uh, went into publishing and then to writing. And did you always uh, have wanted to be a writer? Like, how long has that been in uh, in your DNA? <laughs> you know, I always loved the idea of storytelling. Um, when I was a kid, I read a lot. We my parents always took us to the book to the uh, library every every week, and we got a stack of books and brought them home. And I always really loved mystery novels. I loved you know um, the Three Investigators and um, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew. I really loved this series called The Famous Five um, out of the UK. Um, when I was about maybe ten or eleven, my parents used to take us on these month long family camping trips across the United States in this yellow Bronco, and um, we stopped outside of um, Mount Rushmore, back when you could still buy paperback books at a gas station. And um, I was sort of at that age where I was between children's literature and adult literature, and I didn't quite know what to read. And my parents bought me a copy of an Agatha Christie novel called um, The Seven Dials Mystery. It's one of her early early books. It's um, set at a manor house. It's uh, It has a character named Bundle. It's set in the 20s. And um, I really loved it. I loved the language of it. And I loved the puzzle of it. I loved how she kind of put all of those pieces together. And I, fin I remember finishing reading it in the back of that Bronco and just thinking to myself, this is exactly what I want to do with the rest of my life. And it only took me about 35 years to teach myself how to do it, um, you know, with a lot of false starts in between uh, reading that book and actually getting a book published. Yeah, usually it's a long road, isn't it, to get to that? <laughs> it, it is. And it's like you... Uh, you know, I think writing is such an interesting career choice because, um, you know, it takes a while. You know, you have to teach yourself how to do it and you have to have a lot of self-confidence and uh, you have to have a lot of 
self-drive to, to actually complete anything. Uh, and it definitely, I had to sort of find that drive um, and find that desire to really, to really move, move a, a project to completion. Yeah, and I was checking out the, uh, your series. So the, your, your protagonist, uh, Hester uh, Thursby, uh, she's a, a Harvard librarian, which I think is so cool. How did that character come about and how did you settle on, the, uh, on her becoming a, a, being a librarian? Oh, it's so when I started writing this novel, I actually started with the antagonists. So my first novel is called Little Comfort, and it's about two grifters who, um, you know, they can sign it. One of the grifters is named Sam Blaine, and he's very charming, and he can sort, sort of infiltrate people's lives, very Tom Ripley-like. And when I first started that novel, it was about Sam and his friend Gabe, um, and I wanted it to be sort of like an anti-hero story. And then, so I worked on that for a little while, and there, there's a long story around how I got started on that, but I worked on it for a while, and I didn't really know where to push the story. And then I happened to get a new job. I moved from one job to another, and I, I negotiated a month off in between those two jobs. And um, I decided I was going to spend the month off writing. I, I, try, I, was, I decided to do my own version of NaNoWriMo. And so I wrote every day. I tried to write, uh, you know, the 1,600 words a day. Mm -hmm. And during that process, I kind of figured out that um, I didn't like the novel with the ant antagonists being the main characters. They needed a protagonist to sort of, you know, figure out what was going on with them. And that's when I came up with Hester. And really, my decision-making process was I was already writing a book about two men, and I didn't want to write a book about three men. And so I decided to make her a woman. And like, that was my whole decision-making process. And so for a while, I didn't know a ton about her. I was, I, 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 it took me a while to write my first novel. I didn't take it seriously for, for a while. And so I, I really, you know, I, I just kind of pieced her together bit by bit. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I had to answer about her was what does she do for a living? Um, for a while, the novel was gonna be more comedic than it wound up. It, it's a pretty dark novel. Um, but for a while I wanted it to be funnier. And so she was going to be a baker. Um, and then I decided when it took a darker turn, she might be a psychologist. Um, but there are a lot of novels out there that have psychology at, at the core. And I felt like authors were doing that really well on their own. And I lived in some, I lived in Somerville, Massachusetts at the time. And one day I was walking through the Harvard campus and I came upon Widener library, which is the world's largest, um, research library. It's a, huge, beautiful building. Um, and I looked at it and I thought to myself, you know, maybe the protagonist could be a librarian. Librarians are very curious. Um, and more importantly, they have access to information that not necessarily everyone else has access to. And they know what to do with that, that information. They know how to sort of piece it together. I thought that would be a really great uh, that would be a really great amateur sleuth, and it'd be a really great um, protagonist, especially against the two um, antagonists that I had already developed for the for the first novel. Oh wow, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great idea because yeah, the librarians and their research. I mean, that's like where even like the professional researchers go to librarians when they got stuck. <laughs> oh God, yeah, absolutely. And so the Watcher is the third novel in the in the series. How's that been for you seeing the the series progress and the characters growing? How's that the how's that the, can you tell us a little bit about that process? Oh sure. Um it, that's been really fun. I mean, so the central characters in the series are Hester Thursby, who's the librarian, and then her partner, her longtime partner is a guy named Morgan McGuire. 
Um, and they live to, they live in a house together. They don't actually live in the same apartment. They have separate apartments in the same house. Um, and then Morgan has a niece who he is responsible for, who is three years old in the first book and four years old in the second book and five years old in the third book. Um, and I would say of Hester is that um, um, she is, she's prickly. She, she doesn't necessarily open herself up to people, including to Kate and Morgan, who she lives with. And so one of the things that I've tried to do with the series is to have her progress as a character, have her open, up, open herself up to her partner, have her open herself up to the child who lives with her and who she's responsible for. So in the first novel, In Little Comfort, um, Kate, who's the three-year-old, had has just sort of been dumped upon on these people. And Hester, Hester's in her, um, she's in her mid to late thirties. She doesn't have children by choice, and she's not thrilled, honestly, to have this kid dumped on her. Um, and so, one of the things that I've really tried to do with the whole series is have her slowly but surely come to terms with the fact that she's responsible. I mean, she's an adult. She knows that she's responsible for the kid, and she has to be an adult about that but she doesn't necessarily have to be happy about it. So in this third novel, what I wanted to do was to, to show her experiencing some of the joy of um, raising Kate and, and, and having Kate in her life. So that was kind of fun. Another thing that I did with this novel that I loved between um, Morgan and Hester, they have this per peculiar, per peculiar relationship where they don't really talk about their past past lives, like the, the time before they knew each other. They don't talk about past relationships. They don't talk about where they grew up and stuff like that. And they've always sort of liked that. But in this third book, Morgan starts pushing the boundaries on that. And he proposes a game with, with Hester where um, each day they're allowed to ask each other one question about, the, about their partner. And the partner has to answer no matter how uncomfortable it makes them. And so by doing that, they, they slowly but surely open up to each other as the novel progresses. And we as the reader learn more about each of them as well. Oh yeah, that's a great way of uh, of of doing that. So, yeah, it made me nervous thinking about it uh, 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 in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd want to play the same game myself. <laughs> so, how much research did you put into this? Did you like actually meet like librarians, or how, how did how did that come together? Yeah, so I I have a um, I go I I go to Widener Library and I meet with a librarian. Um, who works there. Um, and and she sort of helps me with what the day-to-day -day life of a research librarian is like. So, you know, like like all these uh, amateur sleuth books, I mean, Hester's not at work all that much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when she is at work, I, I kind of want to show her doing things that research librarians do, especially at a large university like Harvard. So she's on committees, she helps with databases, she does a lot of different things beyond what you would imagine um, a typical librarian might do. Um, for this book in particular, this uh, for Watch Her, um, Watch Her is set at a for-profit university, which is like, hmm, sort of think, think of the University of Phoenix. A for-profit university is one that is responsible to deliver profit to its, um, to its investors. So that's the main difference between a traditional university and a for-profit university. So I came up with this fictional for-profit college based in Boston called Prescott University. So I did some research into, you know, like the differences between for-profit colleges and um, uh, traditional colleges. And I kind of looked at uh, 
in particular, I looked at Corinthian colleges, which was a big uh, system of for-profit colleges that went under in in the mid uh, in I think it was in 2015, just to kind of see how those how those schools operate. Um, so that those are two areas where I researched a lot. Yeah, I remember hearing about that one. Like people, like all of a sudden, people were about to graduate, and then they it was like poof, everything was gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the students were left with a lot of debt. Um, and, you know, no degrees, which, which is obviously a terrible position to be in. I didn't wind up bringing a lot of that into the mm-hmm. novel, um, but it was interesting to look into it anyway. And then the recent scandals of the, with the whole Aunt Becky of uh, Full House, what was that? She was, well, that was, a, she was, they were paying uh, their way into college, their kids' college. Oh, yeah. Well, that sort of happened actually while I was writing the book. <laughs> and there's a very, very, very small sub, I actually brought it into the book. There's a very small p- subplot that happens about two thirds of the way through the book. I don't want to say too much about it, but I, but you'll recognize uh, Aunt Becky in there. <laughs> yeah. Who knew there was so much uh, uh, drama and suspense in higher education? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so how would you describe your writing style uh, for listeners who might not be familiar with your work? Uh, I, you know, I would say my, my writing style is uh, very character driven. So the, the novels are uh, first and foremost about Hester and Morgan and uh, sort of their, um, their relationship. Um, but, you know, I, I infuse it with excitement and um, I try to, you know, I try to make sure that there is uh, a lot going on, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of puzzle pieces for the, uh, for the writer, for the reader to figure out. So I write all the novels from four points of view. So there are four points of view, four point of view characters who tell pieces of the story. And I always say that the, the fifth point of view is the reader. Because at the end of the novel, if I've done my job well, the reader takes all of the pieces that I've laid out for them and they figure out sort of the intricate whodunit of the mystery. And none of the actual characters usually know the entire story at the end of the novel, but you, the reader, should know the, whole, the entire story at the end of the novel. Even Hester doesn't always know um, all of the pieces of the whodunit by the end of the novel. Yeah, your reviews too. I was seeing that you get a lot of the, the people praising the twists and uh, uh, the twists and turns of it too. So it sounds like it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind, it is kind of fun. And and as I'm writing, I usually have a general sense of where the mm, sort of like the overarching plot's going to go with the novel. But I love it as I'm writing when uh, suddenly I'll just come up with an idea that sort of. Uh, puts this whole new twist into the novel. I had a few of those with with Watcher and with each of my novels, I've had a few of those. And, you know, you obviously you have to wind up, you wind up having to go back through the manuscript and sort of um, place the seeds to those twists. Uh, but they're really, they're, they're really gratifying when you figure them out. So is that kind of your process? Are you more like uh, one of those uh, uh, by the seat of your pant writers or do you have like a sort of like an outline or a hybrid? <laughs> I do a little, I've written five novels now. I have three books published. Uh, I have one that I'm working on now, and then I have another one that I'm sort of sitting on. And I have done it, I've used a different process for each of them. Um, I wrote one book that, my second book, which is called um, The Missing Ones, that's the second book in the Hester Thursby series. I wrote that, I was working at the, I was a vice president and editorial director at a major publisher. And, um, you know, which is a very big job. And I had a contract for a book. And so I didn't really have a lot of spare time (laughs) uh, that year when I was writing that book. So I had to work on an outline and I had to be very uh, judicious with my time. Um, Otherwise I never would have gotten the thing done. Um, But other, but my first book, I was really teaching myself how to write a book 
as I was writing it. And it took me a long time to write it. And that was definitely a, uh, I was writing by the seat of my pants. And then I, I wrote another book very quickly that that's the one that I'm sort of sitting on and letting us uh, um, ripen for a while. But that one I wrote with a, a outline, like a one page, I basically had a one page outline where I had just a one sentence for what each chapter was about. And it was actually the easiest book I've ever written. It just, I just kind of followed the outline. I knew in my head exactly where the book was going and uh, it just flowed right out of my, out of my fingertips. The one I'm working on right now, um, I've used a different process where I, I've broken it up into 16 parts. I, I, I don't even know what you would call this. I've broken it up into 16 parts and I'm treating each of the 16 parts sort of like its own short story. And then I'm, I'm, I'm weaving those short stories together. We'll see whether that works. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> see what that, yeah, when, when, when that book's ready and published, you gotta come back and we'll uh, see how that went. <laughs> Um, I find it so interesting too. I was reading um, now, so your book focuses a lot on the uh, um, gender dynamics between the 1990s, 2010s, and so I'm always fascinated with that, um, especially the last few years with uh, a lot of fo focus on that subject matter. Can you talk a little bit about that? The writing characters and defining stereotypes. Yeah. So in this book, the one of the point of view characters is a woman named Maxine Polakowski. She runs the she runs Prescott University, the for-profit university. She's the general manager there. And the novel starts with um, a prologue that's set in, uh, in 1997 when she is 27 years old um, and uh, really sort of beginning her independent life. She's just moved out of her parents' house. She's moving into her new apartment and something happens on the night that she moves into her apartment um, that sort of impacts the, her, the rest of her life and the story in the present day. Um, but I, you know, I always try to, I always try to explore gender dynamics in a, any, a lots of different ways. So in, in Watcher, one of the main characters, one of the uh, point of view characters is a police detective named Angela White. Uh, she's a lesbian. She lives with her partner, uh, Carrie and Carrie's son. Um, I do, I find, <laughs> I was doing this myself. And so I wanted to, um, I wanted to make sure I broke away from this. I find there are uh, sometimes you'll have um, sort of characters in the background in thrillers who are, have, you know, are queer identified or something like that, who, who are kind of sexless. They don't do anything. So I wanted to make sure that I, um, I made sure that she had a, you know, a full sexual life and that she, she was a fully realized character. Uh, there's another character. I don't want to talk about the, uh, another character because it's part of the reveal in the story, but there's, there are definitely other areas where I explore gender dynamics and in, in that story. No, yes, that's cool. So yeah. So like you saw something that was missing and you're like, well, I'm going to address it uh, from, a, from the other stuff that you've been. Well, I would say it's even my own writing. Angela White is the character. Um, I, I I try to only criticize my own writing. Um, <laughs> so I uh, Angela White is the character. She 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 emerged in my first book sort of out of necessity. She's a recurring character in my first book. About two thirds of the way through the book, she came up as a character because there was a murder and I needed a detective to show up. Mm -hmm. So Angela White showed up to investigate the murder. People who read that book really liked the character, though. She's only in like three or four scenes. Um, but readers were always telling me I'd go to libraries and stuff and pe people were always saying, oh, we really like Angela. You should do something with her. So then I was writing my second book and um, 
she, because people had told me they liked her, I, I wove her into that story. I sort of added a storyline for her. Again, it was, it was sort of a secondary storyline. So when I was finally getting to my third book, I had the time to actually develop a full storyline for her. And one of the things I noticed from my own writing was I'd made her a lesbian, but I wasn't doing anything with the mm. fact that she was a lesbian. I wasn't making that sort of part of her core identity. And so mm. in this book, because she was a major character, I wanted to make sure that that was part of her core identity and that, that it was, you know, it was like part of the forefront of her character. And then another big part of your, uh, of your book seems to be the uh, city of uh, Boston. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your connection with that city and, and why you chose to base it there? Oh, sure. Um, so the series is based in, in uh, Hester and Morgan live in Somerville, which is a city that runs right alongside of Boston. It's sort of between Cambridge and Boston. And um, I set, I had them live there originally because I lived there. It made everything easier. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, but part of that, part of why I love New England and part of why I love setting the stories in New England is uh, New England has a very, very rich, uh, geography, but it's also small, it's compact. So you can go from urban to very rural in a matter of, you know, an hour's drive. You can go from the mountains to the ocean in a matter of an hour's drive. You can go, um, you have all four of the seasons that you can work with. So you can incorporate all of those into each of those stories. So my first book, for example, is set in um, in Somerville, where Hester and Morgan live, but it's also set on Beacon Hill, which is a very uh, historic and very tony part of Boston. Uh, and then a lot of the narrative is also set in the wilds of New Hampshire, in the depths of winter, because I wanted to put Hester in a lot in in a in great danger. And so she's she's sort of like out there in the middle of nowhere by herself for the last sort of third of the novel. My second book, The Missing Ones. Um, I said, again, part of it's in Somerville, but most of it's set in an island off the coast of Maine. There are, if, you've ever, if you've ever been to Ireland, there are like tons of, I've ever been to Maine, there are like tons of islands off the coast of Maine. There, there's a real island, which is called Monhegan Island. It's about eight miles off the coast of Maine. It's, uh, I think it's four square miles. Um, and one of the fun things about it is that uh, you know, maybe 50 people live there year round. And then in the summer, maybe 2000 people live there as, as summer people come in, but no cars are allowed there. So it's a, it's like a very remote place. It's, um, it's a very simple lifestyle. And so I adopted that island. I renamed it and made it fictional. I made it Finisterre Island for, uh, the, the missing ones. But I wanted to explore the idea of living in a very remote place uh, where the weather is very severe and that kind of thing. And then in my third book, I, I decided I wanted to set that actually in Boston and not leave Boston. So I set it in a, a neighborhood of Boston called um, Jamaica Plain, which is sort of like a mix of residential and, um, and, and more urban. And uh, but it has this enormous park running through it called the Urban Necklace. So I used the park and, and there's a big pond right there, too. And I use the pond a lot in the novel as well. So I just I try to move the stories around New England, um, use the best of what we have here and really try and showcase it as much as I possibly can. I say, too, I really love the name of Hester Thursby. It sounds so New England, <laughs> like John Houseman in the Paper Chase. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you how that's that name. So I always name characters when I'm writing. I try to name characters really quickly, um, especially when I'm drafting, because you a you can always go back and change them, and b uh, when you're drafting, you don't want to be distracted by anything, and it can be very very easy 
to, you know, have five hours go by and all you've done is hang out on baby naming sites. <laughs> yeah. um, so when I came up with Hester as a character, I didn't really, again, I didn't know much about her, but I did know that she was a woman and I knew that she had this child. And so I thought, well, that day, I, the day I decided to add her to the story, I thought, I'll just call her Hester and I'll call the child Pearl um, after the characters in The Scarlet Letter. And then the next day I woke up and I thought, that is so pretentious. I really have to change that. Um, so, but I thought, I really like the name Hester. I'm going to leave Hester. I like those sort of old fashioned names. And, but so I changed the child's name to Kate. So it's Hester and Kate now. And um, then the last name, again, I, I sort of mentioned this earlier. When I first was writing the novel, it was, I meant it to be uh, funnier than it wound up being. Um, and Hester loves movies. And in the original draft, she loved um, romantic comedies. And so I was going to call the first book in the series, His Girl Thursby, uh, sort of a play on His Girl Friday. And that's where the Hester Thursby came from. Um, Floyd Thursby is also a famous character from the Maltese Falcon, but I did not name her after that character. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating the, how that came to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so now a question to know, uh, as being a male author writing uh, female-led uh, series. Um, do you, any challenges on that? Uh, how did that how, can you explain that process, uh, your process on that, handling that? Sure. I mean, one of the things that helps is that, again, the books are told from multiple points of view. Hmm. And so I, I, all the characters, I mean, all the characters come from me and, and none of the characters are me at the same time. Um, so Hester winds up, I, I, I try at the end of each, at each, when I, when the novel goes off to my publisher, I try for Hester to be about 40% of the overall manuscript. Um, and then the remaining three characters, the remaining three POV characters split the remaining 60%. And so, you know, I'll write from men's point of view. I'll write from women's point of view. In general, I never write from my own point of view because I'm super boring and nobody wants to hear about my life. Um, so I'm always having to inhabit other people's that's what fiction is. You have to inhabit the the heads of other other people and try and make them seem authentic. So with Hester, there are a couple of things that I do to make my life a little easier. There, like we have some similarities between the two of us. We both really like horror movies. Where we like movies in general. Um, we're both a little bit grumpy. Um, we don't like kids. She actually has a kid. I've managed to avoid them. We both love dogs. So, you know, I found things that we have similar between the two of us. But that said, there are tons of things that are different between the two of us. I mean, she's a librarian. I've never been a librarian. She's 12 years younger than I am. And that's actually, for me, that's the harder part than uh, writing from a woman's point of view. Like the uh, life experiences are so um specific to to how old you are and, and when you experience things and so I, I always try to find someone who is about Hester's age to read uh, the manuscript before it goes to my editor to make sure that I'm sort of getting uh, she was born in 1982 sort of getting what it means getting what the experiences of someone who was born in 1982 sort of feel like I also have a lot of beta readers who are women who who I asked to tell me if you know, anything seems off or seems inauthentic. And I do that for any any person that I'm representing in the in the narrative. I try to have a beta reader who is similar to that person. Oh, cool. And then um, I also I always like to get the because uh, I'm curious about the tech the tech side of the of the writing. So what 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 kind of program do you use to write your books? Is it like Word or Scrivener or something else? I just use Word. 
Yeah. I have a very good memory. So um, I sort of keep a lot of stuff in my head. The things that don't stay in my head usually aren't, I kind of think probably shouldn't have made it into the novel anyway. I've heard of Scribner and all of those, but I, I, I don't know. I just haven't, I haven't uh, gone out to try and use any of them. And has the pandemic affected your writing process at all this crazy year that we've had? <laughs> uh, it's been interesting. So my, um, I wrote a book, the book I was talking about, the one where I had the outline that was just like a page long. Mm -hmm. I wrote that early in the pandemic. Um, and I had this sort of creative burst at that time. And then I put it away and I then I had to start this book because I this book is under contract. So it's due to my publisher. This one has been, it's been fine, but you know, I, I do feel like it's there's like this low grade distraction, this low grade stress that we're all going through. And so it, you know, it's it's been interesting. I find drafting like the first draft of a novel can be very challenging. Um, and I'm I'm still like trying to work my way out of the first draft of this novel. So um, yeah, I mean, I would say that I, I can't quantify or, or describe what impact the pandemic has had on my writing, but I know it's there. Um, and it'll be interesting when, when all of this is over, knock on wood, it'll be interesting to look back on this time and, and sort of think about, about that with a little bit of hindsight. Yeah. I also wonder too, like, um, future books, like how will it be addressed? Will, you know, like some authors said, oh, I'm going to ignore it. Others are like, well, I don't have to write it in. It's like, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, books coming out in the next couple of years. Oh, you know, with, with Watch Her, which is coming out at the end of this month, I finished that manuscript in February and handed it off to my editor. And he got me notes back maybe a month later. Now we're in March and like the world's really starting to change. And then I got my, um, I got my copy edits back in May. And at that point I was like, am I going to incorporate this pandemic into this book or not? Um, I mean, it's set at a college, you know, I have students who live in dorms. Um, and at that point, everything was uh, so, undefined like nobody knew what was happening i tried for a little bit to incorporate it and then i really thought you know what i really want to live in a world i want to be writing about a world where we go to parties and we go to <laughs> restaurants and i don't want to be living in this in this pandemic world so i decided not to do it with my current book i for a while i was i i was trying to incorporate the pandemic but i've decided it take i've decided now i in fact i just i just decided this week now i've decided it takes place after the pandemic is over and i do reference the pandemic like here and there like i had one character um a police officer goes to a, talk to a, a suspect and the police officer says oh do you work at home and the um the suspect says, yeah, I've, I've worked at home since the pandemic. So, so like the character addresses it very briefly. Um, and that's the only ad way I address it. And is that, is the book you're working on now, is that a part of the Hester series? No, I'm writing a standalone right now. Oh. Um, it's set in Boston and it has a couple of the minor characters from the Hester Third Space series make appearances in it, uh, but it's a whole new set of characters and Hester and Morgan and Kate are not part of the, of the novel. So what the what was the difference between writing like a standalone versus a, the series that you've been working on for the past few years? 
Oh, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of fun. So you get to work with a whole new set of characters. And I'm quoting my good friend, Hank Philippi Ryan, who's another thriller writer here. But when you write a standalone novel, one of the things that is very freeing about it is that anyone can do anything. With the Hester Thursby novel, like Hester and Morgan, they, they can't really murder anyone um, <laughs> and they can't get killed, you know, so you sort of always are hemmed. You're not hemmed in by that, but that's the rule of the series. Mm-hmm. It's like, no one's going to read the Hester Thursby series if I kill off Morgan. Um, so uh, with this series, with this book, though, because it's a standalone, anyone can be good, anyone can be bad, anyone can be killed. Um, and that's really kind of fun. It really it frees up your creative juices. And do you have plans to continue writing uh, the Hester character? Yes. So after I finish this book, I have a... Um, I have a planned fourth book for the Hester Thursby series. There's a little bit of a, there's a tiny, I hope it's not annoying, but there's a tiny little cliffhanger at the end of Watcher um, that uh, it doesn't impact the novel at all, but it does sort of carry you into the next novel. And um, that what, and I can't say anything about it, but that question will be answered in the, in the, in the Hester Thursby book that comes next. Cool. All right. So before I let you go, I always like to uh, ask uh, my guests, because uh, I have uh, aspiring writers that are listening to this uh, podcast, any advice for aspiring writers out there? And you you have your that publishing background too, so. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I just, I would say um, be dogged and be determined, just like believe in yourself and like keep working at it. I mean, I think sometimes um, writing a novel takes a really long time um, and you have to, you have to just kind of, do the work to get it done. Um, you, you see these movies where like, you know, the character writes a novel while sitting in a, you know, in a house on the Cape with a beautiful view yeah. and they write the end at the end of a piece of paper. And it's like, they just did it during a montage. That's not really how you write a novel. It takes a long time and you just have to be dedicated and really believe in yourself. Great, great advice. And where's the best place for listeners to find you? I mean, your, your website is edwin-hill.com. Yeah, I'm at edwin-hill.com. And you can find me on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Edwin Hill Author. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you and, uh, and about your books. Thank you, Alan. This was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. For show notes and to access the interview archive, please visit my website at thrillerauthors.com. And please do visit thrillingreads.com forward slash rate to leave a rate and review of this podcast wherever it is that you are listening to it. It's the best way to help me get the word out about the podcast to others. And finally, check out my author website at alanpeterson.com. Thank you for listening. And until next time, when I'm back with another interview on Meet the Thriller Author.